Hey, CBP, is your brand interested in taking control of their e-commerce capabilities and tapping into the New York market? Powered by Taproom is here to help. With Taproom's platform, beer and FMB brands can reach their fans more efficiently, more effectively, and more directly than ever before through their own wholly owned website and sales channel, all while gaining access to nationwide direct-to-consumer shipping, best-in-class operational support, and their NYC retailer network. Learn more about their offerings by heading to poweredbytaproom.com. That's poweredbytaproom.com. Taproom is also offering 25% off for four months to members of CBP. This offer is active until December 31st, 2022. You can schedule an introductory call by emailing jeff at taproom.com. That's jeff at taprm.com. Cheers. Hey everybody, this is our final preview panel before we kick off our sixth virtual conference. It's crazy to believe it'll be our sixth virtual conference starting October 17th to 19th. Another three days, 100% free, accessible to all, topics spanning the brewing, the business side of our industry. Today I am joined by several of those who are willing to hop on that virtual stage and share their knowledge and insight. And Chris, because you are to the right of me, tell everybody a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what you're going to talk about next week. Yeah, sure. Um, what am I going to talk about next week? I don't remember. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm the founder, CEO of Optimized, which is a digital marketing company for the craft beverage industry. We do social media, SEO, ads, all that kind of stuff. And next week, I'm going to be giving a presentation on uh, like the fundamental digital marketing strategy for a brewery. So we're going to cover all sorts of topics related to you know, structuring your marketing strategy, whether you're starting out or, uh, you know, midway through your brewing or your company process, this would be good for you to check out. I'm excited to learn from you next week. Meg, you're up. It's been great to connect recently. Hey, yeah. Thanks for having me. I, um, I'm, my name is Meg Ellis. I'm with the Texas Craft Brewers Guild in, in the great state of Texas. Um, we are uh, working on uh, the Royal We. I'm working on a presentation uh, which is, here's my spoiler alert, a shameless plug for craft brewing professionals to get involved with their state guilds, the BA, their local communities, whatever speaks to your heart and soul um, and makes you feel fulfilled. Talking about opportunities to get involved, how to figure out what is the right fit for you, and some strategies to find success um, as a volunteer leader in whatever role you might choose. I know I was super excited when I saw your proposal come through, and I'm even more excited to learn next week. So thanks again for submitting that. Looking forward to that talk. Laura, you talk about so many different topics in the world of craft beer because you've been doing it a while and you're so just knowledgeable. But next week, you know, what are you going to be sharing with us? Next week is events. I think it's kind of fun, Andrew, that that I send out an email that says, OK, what do you want me to talk about? Um, she really there are some does no that, zones. Yeah. Like like I don't brew. Um, I, I couldn't even begin to talk about Emily's world at all. Um, but it's fun. Um, I started my world in distribution and have since moved into the Big Beers, Belgians and Barley Wines Festival and other events. And then have designed retail programs for um, destination resorts and have done a lot of other things. So events is what it's going to be this time. We're going to talk about um, in your tap room, how to like leverage your events and how to do it well without annoying your staff and your regulars and, and kind of how to to build on the great things and the personalities and the spaces and the places that you are without um, losing money and without annoying the universe. So that's the plan. 
I love it. Looking forward to that next week. And last but not least, Emily Wang with Firmly. Uh, pronounced Wong. Um, and <laughs> it's okay. We, it's like we all go through the experience. Um, I should and, know better. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's fine. We've had friends that for years actually like sit there, especially when we had a brewery. It's like, we need to go get some of that Wang beer. Uh, <laughs> so it's okay. We're used to it. Um, and uh, I own Firmly, which is a TTB certified third-party lab. And I'm really excited next week to be talking about something that, uh, frankly, I don't think there's enough talks about. And it's because they're so freaking dull. And uh, that's basically an essential science concepts talk. I'm doing science by any means necessary, uh, which was inspired by just how many Present I was invited to do a presentation pretty early on on chemistry. Um, Laura was actually part of that. I think that was Rocky Mountain Brewing Summit in Colorado Springs, doing one of my first presentation experiences. And everyone at 8.30 in the morning loves starting off with some really dry chemistry. And so something that I've kind of set my mission for in the last uh, couple of years is kind of trying to figure out how to better communicate some of these science concepts to brewers, but also make it accessible for people that aren't brewing, uh, marketers and stuff like that, because they get to hear what the brewers and the owners are talking about. And when they're concerned about dissolved oxygen, what does that really mean? What, what does that mean? And for a lot of people, it's just like oxygen, that shit is everywhere. And well, why does that matter? So yeah. I'm really excited about it. When you first told me about your topic, I absolutely loved it. But at the same time, I have a very love-hate relationship with memes. As a crappy professionals, you know, we all seen all the beer groups where memes dominate the feed and that's all you see. And it can get interesting sometimes. But your approach, I think, is extremely valuable because it's going to be taking concepts that might be hard to understand and making them really approachable. And I think that's one of our goals in CBP is making education approachable to all. So what are your goals, you know, once more through your presentation, Emily, and, you know, how we can use, you know, images like memes to convey more complicated concepts? Well, I've been actually testing it out for a while on our Instagram page by taking those higher level science papers because nobody really sits there and says, you know what, I want to read a scholarly article uh, that has been peer reviewed and cited several times um, about the minutiae of Pretenomyces and how they are the perfect yeast to survive the apocalypse. Yeah, great catchy title, but when you actually dig into it, it's going to probably be extremely dry. And how does this really apply to me? And trying to figure out how to make those approachable. Um, memes actually have been a great way to kind of get more people interested and kind of, I've had people reach out to me and they're like, hey, I really enjoyed this article that I would not have actually paid attention to if it hadn't been for seeing this particular meme, um, like I created one of, with the, the Terminator and the crying little girl, and it was just like the stuck louder and me not considering the viscosity of my ingredients, which is absolutely something that people get stuck with. And it's kind of funny to think about it, but it's like, how do we address viscosity and who actually cares about what that means? So if last you question for you about yeah. memes. Are you spending more time on the creative meme side of this project or the technical expertise? 
Uh, it's just a challenge to get into the right headspace. So I kind of started off by working on our own social media and getting that kind of revved up by going through um, other scientific articles like I have been and seeing what kind of inspiration I draw from that. And usually once I get into that headspace, it kind of just keeps flowing. Like I did a, several for GABF and some of them were like pretty accurate, pretty funny. And then others were just absolutely absurd. But it's all stuff that we actually think about and we just, it's just how do we connect that to something in kind of an abstract way? Cause you can't just sit there and be like, oh, I'm gonna create a meme today. And it's like, cool, where are you going with this? What's what's driving you? Why are you? And there has uh, to be that inspiration. I don't know. Oh yeah, you have to really kind of uh, ride the buzz. Think of it kind of like, uh, you know, you just have to have a couple of good drinks and then you have to go through and edit sober. I like it. You're making information easily accessible and easy to digest. Chris, you know, wearing your marketing hat, you know, what are your thoughts on using memes as, say, you know, informational mechanisms or, you know, taking simpler approaches to marketing that can be easily digestible to fans? Well, uh, I'm looking at your Instagram right now, by the way, and checking out some of these memes that are very funny. And I think the, that, like, they're inside jokes for you know, a certain group of people, a certain niche. And that's really what, how memes work and why they work. Cause it's kind of like this little inside joke with people who know what it is. And in order to make a good meme, you have to be on the inside. You have to understand how your audience is talking. You have to understand what's funny about a situation. And there's a little bit of mix in there of like, all right, you know, we got to come up with a relevant meme that uh, is at least being populated right now. And some brands do a really good job of it. Some brands miss the mark. Some brands, I think, are like, you know, way too much salt on it. Like, if they're making a dish, like, way too much salt in their feed or in their marketing, they're like, oh, memes are cool. Let's use memes all the time. And it's like, okay, well, maybe that's not right for you. Um, I see sometimes brewery accounts where it's like, me, 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 me. And it's like, okay, some of these are really funny, but like, what about your beer that you're selling? Can we, can we talk about the beer a little bit in place of some of these memes? And so it's easy to get a little carried away, but there is certainly something to a tactic of, of saying, hey, look, you know, we have a topic that's complicated or not very interesting at first sight. Like it's in-depth technological articles or in-depth information. Let's make it a little more easy to digest. Let's make it a little bit more um, funny. Let's bring some humor to it. And, you know, it seems like it's working for you, which is awesome. And maybe that'll work for, for your brand, too, if you've got something going on like that. And Chris, when you work with breweries and other brands, are there any simple approaches you've had success with? Not a meme, but something you could compare to just that ease and accessibility? Um, you know, I, I, the, what comes to mind is like the 80-20 rule on your content is, you know, when you're posting about something, it's whatever, whatever graphic you're using, it should be like 80% image or, or photo or graphical piece and 20% text. Uh, or, you know, whatever you're trying to sell, text overlay, logo, that kind of stuff should really only take about 20% of that image. And when you start applying that rule to your feeds and to your marketing material in general and the stuff you're putting out, like you'd be shocked at how engaged, uh, how much more engaged your content gets or how much more engagement it gets. Nope, um, but the 80-20 rule. Yeah. 
you know, Meg, it's been fantastic watching the growth of craft beer in Texas because don't think this the wrong way, but historically, when I think like top beer states, Texas isn't always one of the first that comes to mind, but just watching the growth over the past few years and all the great beer that's coming out of Texas, it's been amazing. But when you're growing your craft beer industry in a state, there's a lot of education happening. You're teaching people who might have typically liked big beer, you know, about the values of craft beer. Are there any strategies you wearing your Texas Craft Brewers Guild hat have seen or just help implement to help make beer more approachable in Texas? Yeah, thanks for that compliment because it's it often feels like Texas is not doing very well in many <laughs> areas. Um, uh, but yeah, we've, we've seen a ton of growth and um, an amazing amount of resilience and stability through in our existing craft brewing uh, community through the pandemic and kind of in the couple of years, you know, that we've, are we out of it? Is it still happening? Um, what kind of business decisions and pivoting decisions need to be made? But yeah, we kind of take an approach. Um, we do, and one thing, um, you know, back to my comment about Texas not doing things very well, we actually have a biannual legislative session. So we only have our lawmakers meet every two years. So every two years is like, we've got all this stuff we want to talk about. We've got you know, craft beer fans powered up and ready to go advocate for their for their favorites and their community breweries. We've got brewers lined up to do meetings. How do we possibly cram as much content into these uh, into these opportunities as we can? And really, it just comes down to being really thoughtful and doing a ton of strategizing about um, what are our talking points, what is the message we want to get across. Because generally, um, anyone who's done any kind of persuasive speaking knows that people are only going to remember two or three things that you say, um, no matter how long you talk. So um, bite-sized messages about what we want to get done, why it's important to craft brewers, and how it's going to affect, um, you know, in, in, in terms of at the capital, uh, the voting electorate. But yeah, it's um, we, we spend a lot of time being very thoughtful about our communication. Um, a lot of, especially in alcohol regulation, can get very weedy and very uninteresting, um, kind of like Emily was saying about deeply scientific um, concepts and, and, and activities. So. Yeah, we um, we do a lot of strategies and we have a lot of folks at the table to, to, to hash through those conversations to make sure that we're hitting um, the right tone and kind of voice for um, for our guild and for our, our members. We, we do try to um, we're not big uh, on meme based communication, but we I enjoy a meme from time to time myself. So looking at all the brewers in Texas and, and the guild's doing great things. It's great to see everything you all are fighting for. But looking at the breweries, have you seen any specific strategies, how they're doing a good job of educating the typically non-beery consumers or you know, maybe overall themes that you're seeing with breweries to just approach more, you know, guests to come to their tap rooms? So many. And I think there's, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of saying that there are as many business models as there are breweries in our state. Everyone is excellent at some piece of, and often many pieces of what they're what they're doing at their breweries. We have some breweries that really have leaned into um, highly scientific beer education, and they're doing weekly beer tastings and private beer tastings for professional groups, and um, really developing some high quality, um, not just high quality education opportunities, but they're in the process kind of developing these advocates for ongoing professional technical training and um, and and delivery as well. And then other folks really kind of lean into it from a, a more like, here's our, our brand. How can we inform what we're doing with our brand and our voice to really kind of drive home why our why our beers are different in these particular ways that we want to set ourselves apart? So, um, you know, I think there's, um, to use a, a non-PETA approved phrase, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat. Um, and no matter what, in terms of education or, or conversations you want to get started, I think 
the key thing is just making sure it's true to your brand and true to your voice, um, and then people will people will will respond. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Now, Laura, I mean, continue along the theme of keeping things accessible. You're going to be talking about events this coming conference. You know, why are events a great means to make craft beer more accessible to those who might not be terribly familiar? Um, I think there's I think there's about a thousand ways to slice that one. Um, you can you can go in an educational direction and talk about styles, talk about, you know, brewing methods, talk about ingredients. Um, or you can really go for, you know, common interests. Um, I worked with a, a brewery through the, the Brewers Association mentorship program that was all pet based. Um, so everybody was bringing their dogs and the focus was dogs and it happened to be happening at a brewery. Um, so there's a whole lot of ways to uh, really bring it all together in, in such a way that that you're exposing people to, to more beer, more different kinds of beer. We can talk about the the upsell of flights, that's always a good hot button topic, right, Andrew? Um, you know, there's there's a billion ways to, to use events or educational opportunities or common interest um, community connections, I think, really, um, to, to really, you know, raise the bar on how we're exposed and why we're exposed and when we're exposed. Awesome. Thanks, Laura. Now, Chris, go ahead. I have a question about this. Well, first, I want to comment, like, I think this topic is super, super important because of the breweries that I talk to around the country, a common theme for success is like programming, like having programming at your tap room, at your brewery is super, super important to bring people in. But sometimes it's hard to figure out like what program we're going to do. What are we going to try? Is it trivia night? Is it tastings? Is it what? And sometimes it takes like extra manpower and coordination to risk it on some kind of like what you think is a traditional event, like music, for example, you got to like hire talent. It's hard to, to pull that off and to make it work. But some of the things you guys are talking about are making me think like, well, maybe there's a way to have programming at your tap room that is things that you're already doing. Like a tasting is something that is, you don't need to hire a music talent to pull that off. You could talk about the scientific pieces of the things you're putting together in the brewery or in the beer and so on and so forth. I wonder, the question I have is like, do you, can you think of any like programming examples that don't require like hiring a musician or bringing in a third party trivia night person or or that kind of stuff that maybe you have experience with. Jump in, Meg, what you got? My first plug, guilds are great at connecting people to exactly this type of thing. We recently have been exploring, doing more internal network kind of education and programming. And um, we have some allied trade members who are the folks like y'all, get Hopped and I started brewery firmly, who have expertise and um, just need a platform to deliver it to people. So I would say, um, don't forget the ability of your state guilds to kind of connect those dots for you. Um, whether you are a information provider or someone who needs something kind of ongoing in a in a tap room or public setting, or That's private, you know, internally, if you want to do some staff development, um, professional development is is super key as this group is a <laughs> cherry pick to know best. Well, it kind of makes me also wonder about. Um what happened in New Jersey with how they have that limitation on how many events they can have. And honestly, that it's basically, they ended up having a guild split and that caused so much issue. Um, and it's just really fascinating because it's like, how do you do your programming in your tap room when you have these limitations? How do we operate in them? And I mean, this isn't going to be the last time we see something like this happen. So what can we learn from these experiences for other people to, frankly, 
explore other opportunities because it's like, would something educational necessarily fall under the typical events thing? We don't, it's like, that's something that they would have to really dig in for. But also that's something where it gets very fascinating when you come down to guilds, because let's look at what could have happened if they had a unified guild and how important it is to have that advocacy and to empower your guild to be able to stand up and say something and help you because it's so hard because we're all so small and we're all so disparate that having that ability to get together and have one voice matters so much. Finding those common threads in a group as heterogeneously, it's so weird because you know, we're all breweries, or all of our members are breweries, um, and yet every business model is so different and the needs are so unique and the stresses are uh, a variation of degree, not of kind, but in when the rubber hits the road, it can make a really big difference in terms of, um, Emily, I appreciate you bringing up the, the New Jersey issue. Um, I think that's a classic example of just, you know, those fractures becoming too granular um, to really be able to hold together any longer. So yeah, I appreciate the call to, to advocacy and involvement and, and open communication. I think open communication is so important because the more conversations we have and Meg, I imagine you interact with so many different kinds of people in the craft beer industry, both in the brewing side and the partner side. And for me personally, when I speak to someone, I just want to have that one takeaway I can just share with someone else. And wearing the hat you wear at the Guild, it's all about sharing education and facilitating the growth of our industry. Yeah, absolutely. It is to the extent that we're able to do it in a valuable and meaningful way. You know, we, um, we always want to be careful that we're not just chasing our tails, creating stuff or providing events or, or resources that ultimately no one be, no one asked for <laughs> or that um, don't, you know, provide good member value. So it's a, it's a balancing act between what can we be doing? Um, how can we keep adding value, but in a way that is really responding to the needs of our members and not just because we're kind of in our lanes and have our heads down working so hard on these things that we kind of forget to pop up and, and check in. Awesome. And now, Chris, to go back to something you just said a minute ago, you mentioned, you know, events and looking at you know what we have you know around us that we might not typically think of an event but could be used as a means to bring something together and that made me think of a conversation i had the other day with michael varda of craft Beer advisory services he does a lot of deep dives into data and he'll go through like google reviews yelp reviews looking for trends and one thing he shared was you know looking at all the events we have at breweries we see at breweries you know shout it out on the count of three what's the most common event you see at a brewery anyone trivia Trivia. Yeah, everybody make it took you a second to unmute. That's okay. But you were going to say <laughs> trivia anyways. So trivia and yeah, trivia, music, things like that, are what we're all thinking. But he went through all these reviews and he found that the most mentioned thing, and I say thing, not event, because there could be some debate whether or not this is an event, but one of the most common occurrences you have at a brewery that people enjoy is a brewery tour simply showing people around your tap room, around your brew house, you have it right behind you. And another stat he shared was that, you know, through his data, he found that 53% of people going to breweries are going just because they're social animals. They're going just to do something. They're not going necessarily for the beer. They're going to just go out, spend time with their friends, go to whatever the brewery is hosting. So when you see that over 50% of people visiting a brewery might not be a craft beer nerd like all of us, they might be super wowed by that brew house behind them. So it's such an easy win to say, hey, would you like a tour? And by taking someone on that first tour, you're able to connect them with a deeper experience and ideally they're gonna come back. Well, it's that farm to table experience where it's like having that connection 
that's really rooted in something so local and being like, wow, this actually happens here. Like you do this here. This is where you come and you make this. Like this hasn't even left the building. You, you, what, how? And it's so fascinating to people that aren't in our industry to uh, learn about it. I mean, my dad is still wowed every single time he sees stainless. And it's like, you do realize you worked on boats. Your daughter works a lot in breweries. Like you would think you'd be worth to a lot of, used to seeing all big metal things, but apparently every single time he's like, wow, <laughs> just starstruck. And it's like, yeah, to be honest, I, I'll get starstruck by a 100 barrel system. So, cause I think- And I think being around it, we become almost immune to it sometimes. Chris and Laura, you know, what are your thoughts on how we can use the experience Emily just mentioned even just with her dad seeing stainless and just getting wild every time how can we use that to further craft beer laura go ahead uh um well there's there's a whole bunch of different uh marketing angles you can use about that when you're creating your brewery you definitely want to make sure people can see that stainless and and understand that it's being made here and i think we're reinforcing that uh, that local piece, that community piece that we're part of, we're part of making your community happen, just like we're making our own beer happen. I think there's a lot of art, artisanship, a lot of craftsmanship, a lot of the, the non-business feel that goes when you can see what's actually happening. Um, I think there's a lot of room for offering ingredients for your customers to see and taste and feel. Um, I think there's a lot of room for you know, there's there's a lot of really low hanging to, to Chris's point, a lot of really low hanging fruit in terms of events. Um, one that I've been talking about lately is work from the tap room. If there's dead time in the early afternoon, say from two to five, it's kind of slow. Why not extend that? You know, have have other reasons for people to be there uh, with butts and seats and and looking busy and and, you know, reaching out to maybe a, a different market. So there's a there's a lot to be said about that. But the stainless to me is part of the bigger picture of the art and the craft of things. What do you think, Chris? Well, what I was thinking of is that when you can point your, your marketing campaigns in a direction, and what I mean by that is like towards a specific thing that you can quantitate and say, yep, we got this many tours booked, or this is how busy that particular, you know, uh, co-working event is. You can kind of justify your marketing spend a little bit easier as opposed to, how many beer sales do we make and how do we justify our overall branding and advertising to the quantity of beer sales? It starts to get complicated and hard with measuring all that. But when you have certain actions or certain things you can really tie to marketing that are that specific, that gets fun. It's like at that point, so let's just turn on the gas on what's working and let's build a little contact form on our website to drive traffic to from Facebook and Google or whatnot. And now we've got a little bit of numbers that we can tie to marketing and we can feel more confident and and what we're doing there. So this is making my mind go. So I, I literally am having this, this conversation right now with, with a client. I'm like, man, this is perfect. I didn't even think about it. It's blowing my mind is the opportunities that are out there and it's helpful. So thank you. Are you One thinking of our, like a room? Oh, sorry, Meg, go ahead. That's okay. I was just going to say um, one of our brewery members in Houston started doing a monthly bilingual tour um, in English and Spanish. And they have, that tour has been sold out for months now. Like they had, they thought like, oh, maybe we can get some get some Spanish speaking folks in here. And they had no idea the market and the the interest that they were tapping into. So just don't underestimate the ability to tap into those kind of local, you know, sub communities. 
that's a fantastic mm -hmm. idea. Yeah, making things accessible. You know, going along with that, you know, I really appreciate all of you because you all, you know, took the time to submit proposals for this virtual conference because not everybody gets to go to breweries every day. Not everybody has the opportunity to go to these conferences halfway across the country. For you all on a personal level, why is putting out your insight and experiences something you want to do? Don't I just want to help. Be on three. Yeah, I, I want to help. I, ultimately, I, I love the entrepreneurial spirit that exists with business owners, and craft beer is such a great example of that. And whenever I see that, I'm like, let's do whatever I possibly can, almost to my detriment. It's like I could make more money if I was more ruthless, I'm sure. But so let's help you. Let's figure out how to help you, you know, find some success with this business. So you can achieve your dreams and that's going to make me happy. So this virtual conference kind of thing is just a, an arm off of that and allows me to do it at scale. Do you get nervous for a virtual conference, Chris? No, not anymore. But you did initially? Um, you know, I, I used to, you know, we were talking offline before the thing started. Me was talking about, you know, past lives where, you know, being nervous before speaking and, um, you know, I used to in high school and then, you know, I went to college and just kind of decided I wasn't going to be that way anymore and got better at speaking. And then it's just one of those things, the more you practice, you know, it, it's more nerve wracking to get in front of a whole group of people, but I'm better at about that too. Virtual is, I do this all day. This is how I communicate to clients all day. So we have people nationwide. So it's like, all right, whatever. We'll just, we'll just do one where there's potentially more people watching. Who cares? And just, just have fun with it. Anyone else want to share, you know, what, why you're passionate about, you know, sharing all your breadth of knowledge? Yeah, I'll go next because I think I already hinted at it. Um, I'm obviously very interested in empowering some folks to envision themselves in, in industry leadership. I think, um, you know, it's not specific to our industry, but a lot of times people think like, oh, someone else is going to take that on or I'm not ready yet or, you know, what, what do I know? What do I have to contribute? So. I think uh, you know, kind of keeping those cycles going. We've uh, we've all been in a place where we've benef benefited from someone else taking the reins and, and uh, demonstrating leadership, and um, just kind of you know completing the cycle um, for the for the strength and betterment of our industry. But also because um, I guess it's it's kind of in my DNA. My parents were always folks who were on the PTA and you know running for different positions. Um, nothing as official as like a publicly elected office or anything, but it certainly uh, demonstrated to me at a young age that that was something um, achievable and um, should, you know, I've, I've always held like some kind of office or leadership position, I think for pretty much most of my life. Um, like I, Tina Fey said in, a, I think, an Oscar uh, award speech, she said, I'm blessed that my parents gave me confidence beyond my abilities. <laughs> so if my confidence beyond my actual abilities can help, you know, other people find themselves to uh, leadership positions. And I think we're all better off. That's a great quote, because if you are confident, you'll probably put yourself in situations where you learn something and that confidence will get backed by actual experience where you feel more comfortable. There it is. Yep. Yeah. I love it. Thanks for sharing that. Laura, how about you? You know, out of all the people I know in the industry, you are so passionate about educating other people. And, you know, right now with Start a Brewery, you know, giving potential future brewery owners or someone looking to grow the skills to be more successful. Why has this become your mission? Um, well, I was going to say that the mission of Start a Brewery is this. Um, I, I think that 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 um, I, I think all of this stems back from my experience with distribution. And I was working with my brother he owned a distribution company and the idea that the brewers didn't understand what we were doing 
on the distribution tier, didn't understand how to work with us, didn't understand um, that that partnership piece um, could really be beneficial for everybody. You know, if, if you have a great partnership with your distribute with your distributor, then, then then everybody wins. You know, you're gonna you're gonna sell more beer, you're gonna make more money, um, and and you can just do best practices across the board because that relationship makes all the difference. And so I think that that really started me on the journey of how to how to share what we were doing in the distribution tier with brewers, which is why I wrote Distribution Insight for the Craft Brewer. But it's kind of carried through with other things, the educational pieces of big beers. Um, it's, it's, I don't know, I love that aha moment. I love setting up an opportunity for people to learn and share what they, uh, what they're really good at and what they, what they love. And that's what I love about craft beer too. It's the people, you know, everybody from farmers to physicists, we're, we're all kind of in the same boat in the same world. And it's really neat to share what we're passionate about and, and how that can help lift somebody else up. We have contributors and start a brewery that aren't interested in additional business. They're literally just paying back um, the industry that has been good to them. And we have some that are starting brand new businesses and they're excited to have any referrals that come their direction. Um, but the, the core uh, really commonality of all of our contributors, this is that willingness to help other people. And I think um, kind of that, that co-purpose of lowering the barrier to entry for those who don't have those mentors and don't have that brewery around the corner and don't have that uncle that can help finance their dream. I think all of that um, just feels good. And it's, it's fun. And if there's, if there are people who need it, um, who are benefiting from it, and if we can make this industry a better place, why not do that? So there's the long answer. Sorry no, about I that. Love it. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I got into I this. For sure. I got to help people, so, man. Got to yeah. help people. And I don't know. I think Andrew might have, might have froze there. I don't think I'm well, I, my, uh, um, my screen's been frozen a good portion of the time for whatever reason. I think Emily's uh, next though. Yeah. yeah um, so uh, amusingly, I actually grew up having a really bad speech impediment and um, I got made fun of for years. Um, I had to go to speech therapy. And so I was really and I was really discouraged a lot in our community uh, from asking questions because I felt like I was going to be mocked and there was always something I wanted to know more about. And I felt like I could never ask those questions. And I feel like I was really missing something in my education. And there was definitely times where I felt like I fell through the cracks. Um, and so, you know, fast forward to now years later, and it's like, I have learned how to use my voice and how to speak and how to ask those questions and realizing that there's so many other people that have those questions, but nobody's willing to actually put themselves out there and answer them. And part of it also as a woman in this industry, part of it is that you feel like you're going to be told that you're wrong. And um, I've spoken at things and then I've had people come up to me and say, oh, I didn't learn that at Siebel. And it's like, okay, that's great. But this is something I'm pulling from the actual Brewers Association and multiple peer reviewed articles. Siebel doesn't cover the full breadth of science and education and the fact that it's constantly evolving, but also maybe you forgot some of your basic concepts and being able to come out and speak on those things and know 
I'm, I'm fairly certain I'm right. I do a lot of research. Uh, but I really wanted to bring more education to the community. And so this year I set a goal of 10 public speaking engagements because I did a few last year and I was, and I was like, I need, I feel weak on this skill. So I'm going to put myself out there. And I am looking at closing in more on 16 speaking engagements. Um, I'm actually nice. going to be, <laughs> I'm actually uh, going to be teaching the QAQC portion of the Brewing and Malting Science course for the MBAA this coming Friday. Uh, we have fall, the uh, fall virtual conference uh, this coming Monday that I'm fortunate to be kicking off. And then uh, this, the following weekend, I'm actually going to be out in Olympia, Washington, speaking at the Northwest MBAA on uh, non-alcoholic beers and food safety. And so uh, I, I may have overbooked myself, uh, but I love that I can do this research and this education and get it out there and really help encourage people to connect to the material because it is, it does matter. And there are questions that other people are afraid of asking. And it's because maybe their voice was treated the way mine was. And so if I can help elevate them or give them that opportunity to learn or to even be able to ask someone that is teaching, hey, I want to know more, where do I go? I wanna be able to offer that to people. For everyone listening after the fact, there's a whole lot of head nods going on in this room right now. Emily, I appreciate all the reasoning behind everything that you do. I, I, I love what you stand for. So thank you so much for that. Now, I want to dive back into your all lives before beer. A few of you have referenced what you did before you got into the beer industry. We don't have to go into the deep dive of what you did. But so often in beer, I feel we talk to other people in beer. We're doing that right now. We're sharing ideas from the beer industry. But I think there's so much we can learn from other industries. I'd love to hear just one snippet of something that you've taken from your past life that's been beneficial to who you are today. Whether you as a person, you as a beer industry leader, I would just love to hear something that you took from a past part of your life and how it's beneficial for you today. It's a loaded question, so I'll give you a, a few seconds to think on that one. Anyone feel free to jump in. I can do that one. Um, one of my first um, post-college working experiences was as a legal secretary. Um, I was it was it was an interesting gig, and I'll I'll spare you all of the details. But that has really helped me in terms of being able to walk through being a small business owner, um, being able to understand some of the uh, legal hoops and things that we jump through in the craft beer industry. Uh, understanding franchise law, understanding a lot of the liquor control stuff, um, running a nonprofit, uh, which I do with big beers. Uh, there's just so many things that have been made much simpler by being able to jump through all that jargon and kind of understand how it's structured. And I have been forever grateful that that was one of my chapters. Fine dining, of course, um, you know, hotels and customer service, of course, but the legal, I think, is the most unique part of that. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Laura. Sure. Chris, because you're unmuted right now, your turn. Nice. Well, um, there's two things that come to mind. I'm trying to figure out which one I want to say. Um, uh, so I, what, in a past life, uh, I was a partner in a travel company. Really, we did travel and events, we did like VIP style events for people that were attending these like really large scale music festivals. In our company, we would travel around the United States and Canada. We just like show up somewhere and run shuttles and hotels and like bottle service and things like that. And 
it gave me an, a very deep understanding of how events work, how to promote events, like how like consumer behavior changes when you're talking about like selling tickets to something. And, you know, when you think about breweries and craft beer events are such an important part of this industry too, that I find that a lot of these things come back up. It's like, oh yeah, well, it's the same. It's, we got to promote like this. This is what's probably going to happen. I can relate to you. You got to get equipment. You got to get artists. You got to do different things. Uh, so there's a lot of that, that, that comes up in the event crossover for sure. Yeah. I can agree to that. Megan, Emily, I'd love to hear something. There we go, Meg, you're up. Gosh, there's so many things, but um, I think the thing that's coming to mind to me, kind of in the vein of leadership and um, getting to know your, you know, how, how and when you can become your own advocate and advocate for the things you care about. I had a job that uh, actually in the nonprofit sector that was um, that had a very strong, one of the values was continuing professional development. Um, and so I got to do a lot, a lot of um, kind of like leadership styles and trainings, communication trainings, all kinds of stuff that helped me better understand kind of um, the my normal kind of how I am when I'm when I'm good, when I'm at my best, and then how I am when I might be stressed. And I still, I mean, that was you know 20 years ago, and I still use some of the strategies that, that I picked up during that time to kind of then analyze like. Maybe this isn't a conversation that I need to have today because I've got these other things going on. Maybe I can see about, you know, it, it's almost like problem solving through prevention <laughs> and, um, and using communication really well has, has just, like, gosh, always been useful to me. Um, so I really, really am grateful for that, that emphasis on professional development that, that I was provided then. Very cool. Excited to learn from you next week. And last but not least, Emily, you wear a lot of hats and you've done a lot of things. I, I have, um, and uh, it's given me a lot of adventures, but before I was in beer, I worked in medicine for nearly a decade. Uh, basically, I was originally going to go to medical school uh, out of college, but I realized, you know, I want to take a moment and figure out that this is definitely what I want to do. It's okay to take a moment and go, hmm, Hmm. And for me, a moment ended up being 10 years, but I'm glad that I had that because I decided to go to school and become a medical assistant. People were like, why do that? I'm like, I'd rather figure out and spend $10,000 figuring out what I do want to do than hundreds of thousands of dollars figuring out what I don't. And I worked up my way through uh, multiple organizations while also studying for the MCAT and taking additional classes to meet up to make sure that I stayed within things because some of them don't accept you if you if your uh, anatomy and physiology is more than five years old. So you have to retake it. And so you have to stay on top of that. So it's like, oh, gosh, I have to go through and do these courses over again, uh, which is freaking terrifying uh, when you think about it. But I got in and then I decided I didn't want to do it because I had worked in this industry for so long. And part of the hard part and probably the worst part for me was watching patients not getting not only the care that they didn't, they, they deserved better. And then they also had all of these questions and the fact that the doctor would not take the time to educate them. Because if you tell somebody a diagnosis, it is heart-wrenching to have just tell them it and not explain more about what it is and what this is going to mean and some doctors were really great at it but others was absolutely horrible and it's just trying to advocate for that and being understanding when somebody doesn't understand or if you don't have the answer being willing to sit with them in it 
And um, I remember with one patient, I roomed her and I was like, I'm sure the doctor will be able to talk to you about this. Doctor went in, spent less than five minutes with the patient, came out, basically threw the chart at me and said, she's ready to go. And I go in and this elderly woman was just crestfallen. And she just looks up at me and says, I didn't know growing old would hurt this much. And I, I mean, in that moment, I mean, the question is always like, what do you do when somebody shares something so huge? And instead I just said, Hey, do you mind if I sit with you? And so I, cause I knew what my bandwidth was that day. I knew I could take the time and Maybe it's not what she needed was an answer. Maybe she just needed someone to sit there with her in that struggle. And so I sat there with her and that's where it, when I come, when I deal with people in this industry that are struggling, that they don't understand why something's going wrong. Why, why is my beer not measuring up? Why are my people not meeting what I expect? And it's like, well, let's sit here in this struggle and maybe you just need to talk about it but I'm sure there's a way that we can find a solution. So with that patient, it was like, okay, what is your plan for your next doctor? Go back to your primary care physician, talk to them. And being able to be that resource, even though it's such a small thing, I'm not a doctor, I can't give you medical advice, but I can help encourage you to continue this journey and not give up because I'm not giving up on you. I think that empathy is really important. And, and that was powerful, Emily. That was actually really powerful. Thank you for sharing that experience. Well, for everyone here today, you know, Meg, Chris, Emily, Laura, I appreciate all of you. I appreciate all your willingness to share. I'm very much looking forward to your sessions at next week's virtual conference. For everyone listening before, it's going to be October 17th to 19th in CBP or on our YouTube channel. You can check it out there. If you're listening to this sometime in the future, you can go back and listen, rewatch forever. They're here to help. I'm sure they'd love for you to reach out. So Chris, Meg, Emily, and Laura, thank you so much for being here today. The conversation. We'll see you next week. Cheers, everybody. See ya. Thank you, Andrew. If you like this content, please subscribe, share with other craft beer professionals, and give us a five-star review. Cheers.